One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Tony is 13 and Libby and Nate are nine. And I'm Katie and I have, wait, I already said I'm Katie. I'm just still reeling from the news that Tony is 13. I know. I have two kids. Jay is seven and Kenny is four. (laughs) (laughs) They are pretty adorable, aren't they? They are. I am really excited to hear your adorable kid story from this week. Lay it on me. Okay, so it was recently a fall break in Minnesota and we had big vacation plans. We went to New York City. We met up with uh, our friend, Annie, and her family. And um, Annie's daughter loves to visit all the playgrounds that she can when she's in the city. And so we went along with that. My kids like playgrounds too, even Tony, even though he's a teenager now. But we went out to dinner one night and we went to a playground. Like it was kind of getting dusk. And all of a sudden we realized that the kids had taken their shoes off because they were trying to like get up this slippery structure So it made, I mean, like their logic was sound. They couldn't get up with their slippery shoes, but we were like, you have to wear shoes. I'm like a shoes on mom to begin with, Mm -hmm. but this is like concrete jungle, New York city. It was so disgusting. I think everybody's fine. (laughs) Good, good. I'm glad. (laughs) Nobody stepped on anything uh, terrible, but. That's my that's my adorable story. <laughs> really, that's all the dirt I get from your New York trip. Was the trip good otherwise? Yes, it was amazing. The kids did awesome. We walked around so much. We saw so many things. We rode the subway. They were great. I mean, at one point, like I just let Annie and her husband take over our like navigating and decision making because they're New York City pros. So what New York uh, tourist destination was the kids' favorite? Uh, we went to the Statue of Liberty, which, which was really cool. And then uh, we saw a show on Broadway. Fun. Remind me yeah. what you saw. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. How was it? Your it face was tells inc- me it was eh. No, it was incredible. But I just feel like that J.K. Rowling shame oh okay that was shame I was reading on your face okay that was shame <laughs> for spending money but I don't know she didn't write it she probably gets paid for it somehow but it was really good I remember when we had this conversation when we reviewed Motown Magic remember that Michael Jackson cartoon mm-hmm. a couple years ago mm-hmm. and we talked about trying to separate the artist from the art and I was like I still can't really listen to Michael Jackson but now here I am a couple years later, and I definitely go to Harry Potter World at Universal Studios and have those same feelings, but I'm mm-hmm. somehow better able to justify it because it's for my kids, question mark, maybe? 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I I don't know. This is this is too heavy a topic for a podcast. Sorry. Okay. Uh, how about a cute story about my kids? Yes, I would love to hear one. I'm going to double down and give you one about each kid. Are you excited? Nice. Yes. Okay. So Kenny has a broken collarbone and he is not supposed to run. But he is at that point. I know. All parents are like, yeah, right. Oh, poor Kenny. He is at that point in collarbone healing where it does not hurt at all. So Mm. any admonition you give him to be careful of his shoulder or to not run or do any of the things he's not supposed to do are all abstract. The argument that he is doing it because his body needs him to do it makes no sense because he cannot feel any repercussions from what he's doing so his latest thing is he will just run and I will say Kenny remember you're not supposed to run or Kenny remember to use your walking feet and he says I'm not running this isn't running is he like this is my slow pace I guess (laughs) I don't know it's uh that's very that's very Trumpian honestly (laughs) I was going for the, this is not a pipe, but okay, if you want to compare my kid to Trump, I guess, I guess we'll go there. (laughs) So Jay's story is a little cuter. He was taking a shower the other day and totally got into the acoustics of the bathroom and was just singing his little heart out and totally enjoying those reverberations off the bathroom walls that as an incurable shower singer, I could really appreciate. That's cute. What was he singing? Oh, they've been working on America the Beautiful for their Grandparents Day program this year. So it was very patriotic. Cute. All right. Should we move on to screen time in the news? Let's do it. This was, I did not know this was happening. Wow. Okay. I'm excited to get into it. So today we're talking about uh, an October 31st article from The Intelligencer by John Herman with the headline, The Streaming Era Pauses for an Ad Break, How Netflix and Everyone Else Learn to Love Commercials Again. That's right, folks. All our favorite streaming providers are getting lower cost ad supported tiers. Which is not completely unprecedented. That's how I watch Hulu. We don't pay for the fancy non-ad supported version. But I think the fear, or at least the fear expressed in a lot of these articles, is that eventually the ad supported version is going to be the norm. And the cost for the non-ad supported version will go up so much that we're all just going to go back to watching ads like in the old days. And I was interested to talk about this through the lens of children's television because that was one of the great things about streaming and one of the reasons why we almost never review things that are on regular TV and not available on streaming because kids' television ads are the worst. And dealing with your kids when they've been watching these ads is also the worst. We're busy trying to find the good content for them to watch, and we don't want to be interrupted for ads, interrupted by ads for products that they desperately want, and we don't want to buy them. The other thing is the mechanisms that the streaming services use to choose the ads, at least right now, 
don't take audience into account. I don't know if you've noticed this on Hulu, but I've noticed it a lot, especially during October, and I've had it brought up by friends of mine as well, is that they could be watching a family movie on Hulu, like a kid's movie, and all of a sudden, a terrifying ad for Huluween will come on with like all of these legitimately scary images that obviously are not appropriate for children. So, yes. yeah. Hulu ads are not targeted. Exactly. If they're trying. They're doing a really bad job. I guess they would need us to have separate profiles for everyone in the family, which feels like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't mind ads all that much i don't like paying for a service and still having to watch ads but that's how cable television worked that's how hulu worked it's just like the society in which we live the problem that i never thought about that this article brought up though is about what happens to creativity because netflix has been able to make giant risky leaps in their programming because they don't they're not beholden to advertisers And so it feels a little bit like going backward or limiting creativity if showrunners and writers have to be told like our advertising partner doesn't care for this character or this language or this plot line. You'll all of a sudden be getting network notes again, which was something that creatives got a little break from. It's interesting Mm -hmm. because they just had a big interview with a couple of guys that wrote a book about the evolution of HBO on one Mm. of my favorite other podcasts, Armchair Expert. Mm -hmm. And it was all about how that like early run of wonderful HBO shows, like when they had The Sopranos and Sex in the City and Six Feet Under, and it was like everything they made was just magical and they could do no wrong. That a big reason for that success was that you had all these TV writers that were just so relieved to be able to make the content that they wanted to make without being beholden to advertisers because that was HBO's whole thing. I think clearly the golden age of television is on the downward slope. I'm sad. I really hate children's advertising. I'm like... This is the only time of year when, like, I rejoice in getting catalogs in the mail and I let my kids flip through toy catalogs to Mm -hmm. pick out the things they want. But I do not, I hate being bombarded by requests for just useless junk. I know. I think we need to um, mindfully give our kids a little bit of a media literacy lesson and think of it that way. Do you think this has any implication? And I am going to totally space on the name of the content provider but for services that provide ad-free content for specifically for kids like the one that Danny Lebrecht moved to mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll see a bump in usage there to avoid ads maybe that's something to keep our our eye on all right well do you have any follow-up from our last episode how was Halloween slash Tony's birthday it was fun it was um very very warm in Minnesota And so the kids didn't have to wear winter coats, which was fun for them. Concerning for me. (laughs) Because like, how warm is it going to stay? But it was fun. Tony turned 13. You have a teenager. Yeah. How about you? Uh, Halloween was good. Um, Listeners, by the time you hear this, Halloween will have been two weeks ago. It'll be (laughs) so old news. Kevin was out of town, so it was just me and the boys, which is a lot to be like herding little kids around the neighborhood, but... 
It was mostly fine. We've been able to control the candy intake within reasonable margins. Nice. Um, Should we move on to our topic of the day? Let's do it. Okay. Pretzel and the Puppies is a preschool series on Apple TV Plus, and it debuted earlier this year in February. There are eight roughly half-hour episodes divided in classic preschool fashion into two stories per episode. And according to Wikipedia, a Christmas special is in the works for release this December. It was created by Stephen Altier, who was formerly a writer on some DreamWorks animation projects that were hits among kids on Netflix, like the How to Dra- Train Your Dragon spinoff Rescue Riders and the Dinosaurs as Construction Vehicles series Dino Trucks. The show is produced by HarperCollins Productions, and they also produced the Carmen Sandiego series we reviewed a while back. According to the website deadline, the animation studio responsible for design and story is House of Cool, who also did the storyboards for Kid Cosmic, and the animation studio responsible for CG is Saturday Animation. It's based on the 1944 book Pretzel, about the longest dachshund in the world by Margaret Ray and H.A. Ray. Those are the authors of the ubiquitous series <laughs> Curious George. So the, the show follows the adventures of a family of dachshunds led by Father Pretzel. He's the longest dachshund in the world, and he also can twist himself into shapes, hence the name Pretzel. <laughs> and his wife and the pup's mother Greta in the town of Montgomery. Greta is the mayor of Montgomery and Pretzel is a stay-at-home dad and they have five puppies. Why did we pick it? Because it has been a long time since we reviewed a just straightforward preschool show. And (laughs) Katie looked into how long it's been since we reviewed a preschool show we actually liked. And it was Creature Cases, which was 10 episodes ago, but that's still several months in the past a long time in the podcast world mm-hmm. and after our last episode uh remember listeners the phantom pups review uh we were looking to rehabilitate the image of puppies with our audience and finally it's a bit of a lull between some halloween movies and the holiday movie season when those come out we're gonna have too much to review. We watched the first three episodes of season one. Uh, episode one, Make Your Bark, Pup to the Races. Episode two, Treat Yourself and Pups on Parade. And episode three, Do the Doxy, Hot Dogs. We'll go through the episodes one by one before moving on to our general impressions. Katie, could you summarize Make Your Bark slash Pup to the Races episode one? Okay, so we are introduced to the Doxy family. Deborah already went over who everyone is. And we're introduced to the general concept of the show, and that is to make your bark on some other pup's life or on your community. So in this first story, they are literally making their marks on a bland blank wall in their town of Montgomery. They all drew pictures and in the process of deciding which pictures to paint on the wall, 
they voted and then discovered that the paw prints they had used to vote were actually a really attractive way to represent all the different citizens of Montgomery on this ugly wall. So that's how they painted it. The second segment was called Pup to the Races, and the pups were really excited about a soapbox derby, but it's not called a soapbox derby because they're dogs (laughs) in their town, and they discover that they're too short to participate, but they decide to create a whole separate derby just for the smaller pups that involves building and racing model cars. What did you think of the pilot episode? I thought it was cute. (laughs) What did you think? I was so optimistic after the first segment that Mm -hmm. this would be a show all about civic responsibility. Mm -hmm. Except for the incredibly unrealistic portrayal of city council bureaucracy. (laughs) Um, So I was a little disappointed in the second segment when it became clear that they take the the concept of making your bark much more broadly and it can be as much as like you know help a sad pup feel happy it's not just like how can you work within the levers of power of your community to make change (laughs) right and that comes up in like a couple of subsequent episodes I was honestly just glad that it wasn't about like peeing on a fire hydrant you're right there was no (laughs) peeing on fire hydrant humor (laughs) That's how I see dogs in my neighborhood making their bark. (laughs) All right. Do you want to take us through episode two? Okay. And treat yourself. Mr. Kibble is having kibble fest and he's trying out a bunch of different flavors of kibble, except Puck won't try the new flavors and everyone panders to his picky palate. And then in the second half, Pups on Parade Montgomery is turning 100 and the pups have a surprise party parade. It feels so pre-COVID to have the whole town eating from the same kibble dishes in that first segment. I know they're dogs, but I was really freaked out. (laughs) I know because they just like dig in. Uh Yeah, gross. Everybody's just sticking their faces in those same bowls. Yeah. I was appalled because preschool shows are often like instructional mm-hmm. to for kids and um the dad pretzel like asks pup if he puck if puck wants to go home so that the dad can fix him something else to eat that's not what you do when you're at a party and you don't like the food you just have to wait yeah or I'm- eat an okay food you don't get- to leave and go home and eat your like whatever bland food that you regularly have for lunch this is just like the uh off mic conversation we were having before we started recording one of those moments where you're like wait is the thing I thought was prevailing wisdom about how to raise your children actually not (laughs) so (laughs) I guess it is a whole school of thought that you just you know make your kids whatever it is they want to eat I actually have a girlfriend who does that and she swears by it she's like that's how I was brought up my mom would make me whatever I wanted so that's how I'm bringing up my kids and she doesn't seem to resent it at all whereas I would resent the heck out of it (laughs) yeah oh man I don't know how many times a week I say I'm sorry but this isn't a restaurant Mm -hmm. it furthers that attractive myth that kids will eat what you make if they help make it 
mm-hmm. which I have not found to be the case. That's another thing that everyone says. Oh, if you just get them involved in the kitchen, they'll be so much more adventurous in their choices. That has not been my experience. Not true. Tony can make like a pretty outstanding cheese omelet. Never has he tried a bite of one. <laughs> So your house is a restaurant. The staff isn't allowed to eat it. <laughs> yeah, I guess when, yeah, I, we could look at it that way. <laughs> so in episode three, my attention span was waning. But what, <laughs> what I gathered uh, was that in the first segment, the pups went to visit their Nana, who is Pretzel's mother, and she lives in like a senior community for dogs. And they try to go do, did they call it pup lotties or paw lotties? I think paw lotties. I think it was paw lotties, yeah. So they try to all go do paw lotties together, but the center where they usually do it is closed for the day. So they spend the day trying to find other ways to help the seniors move their bodies. And they finally land on having a dance party. And in the second segment, hot dogs. It is a very hot day in Montgomery and the pups try and find a solution to help the whole town cool off. Like I said, I was <laughs> I was far less of an active viewer on this third episode because things start to feel a little repetitive. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know that I have any specific thoughts to the plot of this one. How about you? I was watching by this point with just more of a critical eye to pretzel because he's kind of the primary caregiving parent Mm -hmm. there was a funny gag where he's like standing there and the pups are all drinking from water bowls that are like balanced on his very long back i thought that was funny and then um he's just like super chill like they're trying to cool off and they spill ice cubes all over the floor which would annoy the heck out of me but he's just like "Eh, cool off (laughs) good idea (laughs) were you familiar with the original book I was not at all you I read it just to prepare for this Mm -hmm. did you read it at all I didn't how was it okay it's okay you know how the um curious George like the originals are like pretty uh they just they don't hold up okay I'm thinking about the scene where curious George goes to the hospital gets high on ether has this whole like hallucination scene it's funny but like not appropriate really for kids this in this day and age to read Mm -hmm. and also well and I think we've talked about this before anyway Pretzel is a little more anodyne. It's like Pretzel is pursuing Greta and like tries to convince Greta that they should go out on a date and like does all these things. And Greta's like, I just don't care for long dogs. And then Pretzel helps her out. And like, it turns out that his length is an asset. And so then she changes her mind and then they get married and have five pups right away. So it's, it's kind of cute. It's kind of very like enforcing heteronormative culture. So the pups are born at the end of the book, right? So, mm-hmm. that... so this is like the hat. This is like what happens after happily ever after. And this is a book that really no one reads anymore and came out in 1944. So 
why did we need the IP as a framing device? I don't know. I think it's a cute little conceit, like the longest dachshund in the world. I think dachshunds are adorable. They are undeniably very, very cute. Okay, so what did you think about the choice to go with mom, Greta, as mayor, and dad stays at home with the pups? Progressive or pandering? Doesn't matter. Yeah, I was surprised at how rarely it came up. Like I said, I was super excited in the first segment thinking that the fact that mom was mayor and that they were involved in their local government was going to be a major plot point. Mm -hmm. And then it was not. Honestly, if I hadn't read it in the description of the show, I don't know that I would have realized that Pretzel was the stay-at-home dad. Yeah, because the family is doing stuff all seven of them a lot. Yeah. And maybe you get more of that in later episodes, but I don't feel like it was taking any particular stance or trying to be progressive at all because it didn't if it was it didn't drive the point home at all what did you yeah I like I liked not being like hit over the head with it I did like that it's more realistic you and I both know that it's hard to have like it's impossible for uh parents of young kids to have two ultra demanding careers it works better for your family better for my family if like one parent has a pretty demanding job and then the other parent has a flexible schedule so I did think it's like more it's not telling you the lie of like you can have it all although to be fair being mayor of Montgomery doesn't seem to be terribly demanding no she's pretty freewheeling yeah and she can just walk in and like demand special favors for her children Seems pretty ideal. Yeah. It's a nice gig. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the cast and the characters. Was there anybody that you particularly loved or hated? Well, we got to talk about Pretzel. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help it because I know he's just supposed to be a cute long dachshund. But I was like obsessed with how his skeleton was working in there. Like bodies just aren't meant to do stuff like that. Oh, I know. And like supporting all of the weight that he does on his back. He's just so often sway backed. It's got to be painful. Don't dachshunds have back problems? I'm sure they've got to. I don't know. I worried for his musculoskeletal health. (laughs) Yeah. There was one of the pups has like a little doggy wheelchair sort of like Mm -hmm. his hind legs are in a little wheeled trail, almost like a trailer. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was nice to show like differently abled pups and not comment or draw any special attention to it it was just like normalized which I liked yes another pup was like wearing glasses like they all had something that kind of distinguished them but I can't like name any of them (laughs) oh but I can tell you what wasn't there none of them was primarily defined by the fact that he liked to eat oh true I noticed that not even in the kibble episode that was like a great vehicle for figuring out which one is the glutton but the one that I really appreciated was there was one that was clearly a little self-conscious about how tiny he was Mm, compared to mm -hmm. his brothers and sisters so that one was my favorite although I can't remember his name (laughs) so I really wanted to watch this in part because Mark Duplass is in it and I love the Duplass brothers did you ever um watch togetherness a show it was on hbo like in 2015 yeah i saw the 
pilot and maybe the second episode. It wasn't for me, but I could understand how it could be for some people. I really liked it. Jeremy liked it too. And then we were really sad when it was canceled. It was just like two short seasons, I think. Yeah. Who did you like? Any any of the cast members stand out? I would not have immediately recognized Nassim Pedrad's voice. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. But I was a big fan of her in New Girl. And I thought she was possibly the best part of the live action Aladdin movie. Did you see Who that one? Who does she play in that? She plays the handmaiden to Jasmine. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's just super blunt. And I love that in a character. I liked that movie more than I expected to. Yeah. What did you think about the look of the show? Other than the fact that I was obsessed with how Pretzel moved, I don't know that anything really stood out. The fur was fairly realistic for a CGI show, which was nice. It was a pretty average looking preschool show. Yeah. I thought. Agreed. It could have Montgomery could be anywhere in a lot of middle America states, I think. Which I they're probably trying to appeal to a general audience. Uh, what did you think about the length and the structure? We talked a little bit how uh, attentions waned in the third episode. That's pretty normal for grown-ups watching a preschool show. Mm-hmm. I think because we were watching it to record this episode, we were binging three episodes at once, or at least that's how I did it. Uh, whereas if I were normally sitting down with, say, Kenny to watch a preschool show like this, we we wouldn't sit down and watch it for hours on end, you know? Mm-hmm. It was no puff and rock. Exactly. And I, yes, that was the comparison I kept making because mm-hmm. there was nothing actively offensive about this show. The element, and I'm going far off back to general thoughts because the element that really was missing in compared to something that is as beautiful and perfect as Puffin Rock is the element of independence which we so often talk about Mm -hmm. as being such an appealing concept for kids um, such an appealing thing for preschoolers to explore scary thing for parents to think about Mm -hmm. Uh, but there is none of that because the parents play such a central role in the show like the whole show is titled after the father so it makes sense that the parents are always there but you're not getting quite that level of mischief from the kids I guess there's no mischief at all especially when you compare it to the other Margaret and H.A. Ray inspired property Curious George because Curious George is like He's naughty Mm -hmm. and he knows it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he loves to frustrate the man in the yellow hat, which creates a ton of like comedic tension. And there's none of that in this show. If anything, these pups are the exact opposite because the emphasis on the show is so strongly on doing good for others, which yeah, is this an important lesson to teach preschoolers? Yes, of course. We all want our children to feel that it is incumbent upon them to do good by others, to do right by others, to do good mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but not only was there no nuance, it's a preschool <laughs> show, but there, there's no lightness to it. It wasn't It wasn't funny. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but that has nothing to do with the length and structure. I mean, structure, yeah, because there wasn't like a big dramatic arc to any of the episodes. The problems weren't big problems. The stakes were not high. And you don't, I didn't feel like the kids were really like learning and growing in 
any way. Like it was each episode, a different pup made Mm -hmm. their mark. And there was never a question as to whether or not they would do it or whether or not they would be, you know, selfish and decide not to do it. Mm -hmm. It was just a very kind of Brady Bunch angle, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Right. Not even Brady Bunch because they fought. Okay, that's the wrong comparison to reach for. So I'm like, <laughs> leave it. No, not leave it to Beaver because Beaver was father knows best. I don't know. You know, you get what it, you get where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so were you able to compare it to a movie or show for grownups? Yes. When it came to just people cheerfully trying to do good, perhaps when a little less cheer could be called for. I, of course, thought of Parks and Rec. Mm, mm-hmm. How about you? Do you remember that show? It's like a HGTV style, like fix up your house for you with somebody named Ty that was on before like Desperate Housewives. Mm-hmm. Extreme Home Makeover. Yeah, I thought it was kind of like that because it's like try- like trying to be a feel good show and there's just not a lot of tension. Yeah. And just like a happy mundane ending every time. Mm-hmm. The tension always came from like the sob story of the family beforehand. But then, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it was going to be a happy ending because why would you do otherwise to these poor people? <laughs> right. It's yeah. It didn't have like the, ooh, is this flip going to work out? Or we found black mold in the bathroom or something. <laughs> or no tension about like, ooh, will they glue straw on the walls and tell us it's day poor? <laughs> right. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? So I know that Greta, I almost called her Ginger. So I know that Greta is not the tall one, but they're all dachshunds. So they're all like long and lean to a certain extent. So the grown-up actor I would like to see play Greta would be MJ Rodriguez from Loot. Mm, She plays, yeah. and now I'm going to space on her character's name, the boss of the foundation on Loot. And she's just very compact yeah thin is not the right word like her features are very small and refined so I think Mm -hmm. she would be a good Greta and then as far as pretzel I want someone funny because I was really (laughs) reacting to the fact that pretzel's kind of supposed to be goofy and he wasn't very funny in the show and then I just looked up a list of tall actors and I was like well what if Conan (laughs) O'Brien That would be he would he would be good. I don't know. It would definitely be strange. And I Mm -hmm. think this show could use a dose of strange. Right. Yeah. I want to reunite the act the main characters in togetherness. Oh. So Mark Duplass, Melanie Linsky, Steve Zissis, and Amanda Pete. And I want the two couples to find an abandoned litter of unusually long dachshunds. And decide what to do with them. Rescue, foster, adopt. I like it. Was it better when we were kids? If anything, this is more in line with the kind of bland whatever that was produced for us as preschoolers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, same? Yeah, I think it was fine. It's always nice to see a show take a swing on teaching preschoolers something other than math concepts. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's the easiest overtly educational thing to shoehorn in to a preschool show. And mm-hmm. we had high hopes when we reviewed Do Re Mi 
that <laughs> it would do some interesting things with teaching music concepts, not so much. And then mm-hmm. this similarly wanted to try and teach some sense of citizenship to kids. And that's important. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to overly poo-poo this show because I see what they were trying to do. I just don't, I don't think it worked in any compelling way. Yeah. So would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? I just did. And it was a slog. So no. Yeah. How about you? No, I would not. 10, Ten seconds. seconds on- <laughs> <laughs> is this good for kids? I'm pretty sure my seven-year-old would be bored. Like if you're going to do this, you got to do true preschool age. Like that age range really describes where it would fit if it would. Mm-hmm. If you have a kid that's really passionate about dogs, it might work. I'm not necessarily going to choose to expose my children to it because I think there are probably better ways to teach them how satisfying it is to do good in the world. Mm-hmm. My kids are too old for it. However, if you're like cutting back on your streaming services and you really want to keep H- Apple. Apple for yourself because you want to watch what's on there because there is a lot of grown-up mm-hmm. content that's very good, this is fine. Your toddler preschooler would can watch this. They don't need their own Netflix subscription. You know what? I have a feeling the Christmas special is going to be actively good because Christmas is where you want to see a like totally bland story about people doing good for their fellow dogs. That's right. So totally. maybe I'll check it out at Christmas time. <laughs> okay. Ratings? Again, it's so hard because it's not. It's not Phantom Pups bad. Let's get clear here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I don't want to give it a three because that almost feels like more of an endorsement than I feel. I don't know. What do you think? I was going to give it a three and a half. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Then I don't feel so bad giving it a three because it maintains my norm of going lower than you. If three is where I'm going to sit to say that I feel really, truly just neutral and bland about this product, then yes, three. (laughs) Okay. Whew, that was torturous. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. If you enjoyed our show today, please share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. You can find us on all the socials at My Screen Time 2 or send an email to myscreentime2 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our website is myscreentime2.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV we watch with our kids because we have to, and sometimes because we like to. Bye. Bye. Bye.